Hello and welcome everybody to a new episode of the Advanced Real Estate Talk. It's Aurelien, the Mindful Investor.net. I'm here with uh, Darcy White, darcywhite.ca and Glenn, glennsutherland.com. And uh, we are happy to be your hosts. And today we will be discussing when to sell. Um, I, I can start. Um, I'm the wrong guy to ask since I never sold anything. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking about it, right? You're always thinking about it. When yeah, would yeah. you sell? Yeah. So the right time to sell isn't to sell. Yeah. You know? I'm a buy and hold yeah. guy. So, yeah. uh, but I think, so there are different strategies to look at. So in buy and hold, uh, so it depends on how you want to structure it. And then you have um, questions around, okay, how do you give it then to your children and pass it on? So how do you structure it? So that could be an episode in and of itself. Um, all I know is that uh, when you when you do, for example, a syndication, and, and when you keep in mind the concept of return on equity, I think uh, that's, that's key. Because then, then it makes sense to refinance or to sell. Because then you you get your equity back so that you can move it into the next deal. So if you keep the concept of uh, return on equity in mind, then I would say if you buy, for example, a property that has vacancies or um, a commercial space that needs repairs, or uh, a space where the rents are way below market and you do cash for keys, and or basically you buy a, a building with a problem. Once the problem is fixed, uh, you could consider that you, you have executed on your business plan and then that could be a, a time to sell, a good time to sell. The other thing I would look at is the real estate cycle. So there are four cycles, four uh, phases in the real estate cycle. And um, I would say before the builders come in, uh, and start building up and which would lead into the uh, oversupply so when you're in the expansion phase uh, is a good time when you have job growth population growth you have a shortage of inventory which will uh, track the prices up so i would say that would be another consideration and uh, yeah these are my uh, my my thoughts on uh, on, on when hey, which cycle would you think we're in now like um and then maybe it's maybe it's regional or multiple yeah. cycling is going on. But I mean, a lot of our listeners are probably in the GTA and in Vancouver where we are, and are kind of trying to figure out what cycle is this a time to buy or sell? Uh, for reference, we're recording this in May and interest rates, the CMB interest rates are around 3%. So we're looking at, you know, more expensive money. So if interest rates are sensitive, what cycle do you think we're in now? I have not. I'm. I know for the markets I'm invested in. Uh, I know the one in Canada is. Uh, it's a phase where builders are building, so uh, I would wait. And uh, and the other one in the U.S. Uh, the product I'm investing, in, mobile home parks, uh, you can't build new ones. So. Yep. Yeah. Um, you said some really good stuff there, and you, you had a very similar notes. But return on equity is, and you kind of. You glanced over return on equity, which I think a lot of people don't take that number seriously. Um, because a lot of people say you bought this property 10 years ago. Um, and, you know, if you bought it pretty much in North America, the prices have went up, right? Um, so I, I'd say that's a pretty safe assessment or safe statement to say. But um, based on what you bought it for, um, you know, return on investment is how much money does it make per year, right? Bottom line. Uh, divided by how much you have put into it, right? The, the return on equity is the exact same calculation, except how much money do you make 
but you're also factoring in that dead invisible equity money as well as what you put into the property. So what I mean by that is if say you bought a property for, uh, I don't know, well, I've been making up numbers. This is a dangerous game to play, but say you put down $50,000 and now the property is appreciated another $100,000. When you're doing your return on uh, investment, you have your income on the top divided by the $50,000. But if you're doing return on equity, you have that $100,000 appreciation on the bottom as well as your initial investment. And what it's going to do by having such a, a high denominator, um, it's going to make your uh, return on your returns lower. It's going to be a much lower number because what's happening with all this equity that's in this property, it doesn't earn you any money. It doesn't give you, you don't get a penny for that. Like, you know, every interest for that invisible money that's going in. So I know what some people are popping through the head and they're going, why aren't you refinancing? Why, why would you sell this stuff? Like when you do a refinance, there's, um, you know, you're not paying these capital gains, which you're going to get stuck with on doing sales. You're, you're, you're going to get tax-free money. And then you could take that tax-free money and put into other things. And your property, it all depends on how you bought that property originally. I, at least that's the way I look at it. Um, so I can do refi after refi after refi on my properties in the States because I bought them right. I bought them cheap. Um, and uh, I guess it, maybe that doesn't even play in as much because it's, you know, what if you after a second refi, you're, you've ripped it up to where it is anyway. But where I'm going with this is I bought a property in Canada maybe 10 years ago. Um, a rental property, uh, a townhouse in uh, Preston, uh, which is Cambridge, Ontario. And we did the refinance on it. And what we were shocked by, because I was, you know, a newer investor back then. Um, it, well, not shocked, because I, I could see it coming. But your income comes way down. When you, when you move your loan payments up uh, by refinancing this property, and you strip it out, your payments are going to go up on this. And it didn't cash flow as well as it used to. And how this story played out was we weren't really satisfied with the amount of cash flow after doing the refinance. So we sold the property. And then you go, well, why did you do the refinance? Why just spend the money on the appraisals and all the other junk? Um, it doesn't make sense, right? So that's where I was going, right? Um, so when to sell, I think you got to do your return on equity. Um, this isn't my thing, like most of this real estate. Um, I got this from one of my guests. Do a return on equity calculation on all your properties. Figure out which ones are performing the lowest. Then look at the lowest performers and see what you can do to move that property up to the top or in the top range of your properties. If that can't be done and it's stuck as being one of your lowest performing return on equity numbers, it might be the time to sell because there you have stretched this You've done all the repairs, you've maximized the, everywhere you can maximize, and you have a, a lot of equity stuck in it, it might be the time to sell that property. That's how I look at it. Um, and it's the goals of what you're doing, right? Um, I read, we like to drop book names. I read uh, years ago, uh, Money People Deal by Stefan Arnio. And you want money now, money soon, money later. Um, and sometimes just selling properties gives you a lot of money now which could be your oh crap fund that could, if you're trying to do your leave your job real estate sort of investor situation, 
that could be the Euro crap fund that could fund you for two years or so, or three years, or however much equity you got in this until uh, if your business isn't quite where you're, you know, it's actually cash flowing or doing as well as you need it to do. It gives you the time. It buys you time to figure, to work on your business. Yeah, it's important. It gives you, and it also establishes that you can turn a profit. I mean, you have yourself to prove things to most of us do and our mm -hmm. partner, whoever they are and our investors and uh, your bankers, your lawyers, your accountants, everyone else along the line, at some point, kind of got to prove that you can make money. Um, a good idea is just a good idea until it actually accomplishes something. I think, yeah, you guys have great ideas. I know uh, we've touched on the ROE, return on equity idea before. And I like how Glenn has described it. I've described it a tiny bit different, but we come at the same thing. We're looking at the same thing. And I have sold properties. Um, uh, Glenn sells one a week almost, um, and ours is truly a buy and hold, and he just keeps you know farming those properties, improving and improving them. At some point, though, when you've been in it for 15 or 20 years, and I should say, we have some properties that we've owned since, uh, my family has owned since 1977, and I've been into them since 2000, so that's a long hold. Um, we said, now there's some 1990, so I have some mature properties that we have refinanced over time, or that we've just let the mortgages tick right down to zero and they're making really good cash flow. Um, there's something good, you know, nobody hates cash flow. Cash flow is good. That that's um that's you know, that's the lifeblood of your business. But I did think when we were looking in when we had the properties in Windsor, Bonnie Windsor is for refresher listeners in 2009, 10, 11, 12, and 15. And over 10 years of of ownership, we had improved those buildings substantially, um, refinanced and took us most of our original investment monies out. But it had, as Glenn said, suppressed the cash flow because you now have a larger mortgage. At some point, your equity in the building is so large, but you can't support that uh, refinancing that equity with your current rents. Rents are market, but the building could sail up in value based on a rent roll. But banks would not be amenable to leveraging them to 85% or 90% of it. So that money sits there dead. You know, using Glenn's metric, uh, your return on equity, it's probably a good reason, uh, idea to free that equity up and roll it over into something else. Pay your taxes. It's not a terrible thing to pay taxes. Um, I know we all wince at it, but I appreciated going to elementary school, middle school and high school in this country and university. I've used the hospitals and roads and all the things that a healthy, robust tax base uh, gives us whether it's municipal, provincial, or federal taxes. We owe taxes. Um, there's an awful lot of good that the government does, and you can complain about individuals, but on balance, it's a pretty good place to invest and to live. And this is where I'd like to keep my family and have them well-serviced. So I don't mind paying taxes. I just don't want to be stupid about it. Um, you know, like everyone else, I hate corruption and graft and, and inefficiency. So, you know, you might, don't try to pick where I am on the political spectrum. I'm all over the place. I'm eclectic. but. Anyhow, so here's my. Oh, you, you went to you were you were telling us beforehand that you were, um, you just well we know everybody who listens to this you sold some property in Windsor, and you know there could be the opportunity to sell some of your other stuff. Yep, we just had this conversation last night over dinner with my long-term partners. So I said, based on the Windsor experience, here's my five, and I thought of another one over while I was sleeping this tonight. Glenn's one: if you got dead equity stuck in your building, say you've got a building that's worth. 200 million two two million dollars on the street but you have a mortgage on it of 980 you have approximately a million dollars of equity that you can't touch you can't mortgage it out 
It's just sitting there. The bank loves the security, but you can't do anything with it. It makes you feel good at night that you're rich, but that isn't, that's not useful unless you really need that. So if you have debt equity, you should probably be thinking about selling it or some way of getting that equity out of there. In um, the second one is if you see significant threats on the horizon, threats to your profitability and stability, that might be a good time to sell. If you're able to sell ahead of a threat, such as horrible in interest rates, uh, change in legislation um, that affects your business. What if uh, vacant homes and an Air Airbnbs are outlawed all of a sudden in Hawaii and you're holding vacation properties in Hawaii and local indigenous Hawaiians are saying, no, we don't want this. And they pressure the Hawaiian government to stop it. I mean, this is possible. This is what a, a major employer leave in town. Exactly. If you're invested in a small town in Northern Ontario or a small town that's resource dependent anywhere in the country or in, in America, and that major employer pulls out and they're in industries such as coal mines, like long-term, you don't want to be invested in workers' housing in coal mining towns. You, that's not a buy and hold strategy. That might work for three to five or even 10. But if you're thinking 40 years in a coal mining town, you need to rethink that. That's a good reason to sell. If you've got profitability now and you're in a coal mining town, you should probably sell to someone else. Um, so anything like that, threats of vacancy rates and economic loss, you want those are good reasons to sell. You don't want to be there. Um, the second one is debt equity. The third one be an opportunity to fix profits. Like I said earlier, to demonstrate that you can make money. You have you have investors that, you know, have put a significant amount of money into it, or you and your family. And at some point, you need to fix profits and not leave them all on the table at risk. As well, as long as they're in a building, they're at risk risk of fire, there are risk at uh, economic uh, recessions, high interest rates, vacancies, all these other things, it's at risk. At some point, fixing profits is not a bad idea. Um, you know, I have to acknowledge the, uh, my lawyer in Ontario in Windsor, Jerry Udell said, Darcy, it's never a bad idea to take profits. And you don't have to apologize for it. If you're telling me that you're going to take some profits, I'm writing it up. That's why you're doing it. That's a good idea. Everybody thinks that's a good idea. Don't apologize for it. Uh, you need to get paid for your work. Everyone does. Um, what if there's an ir irresistible and compelling opportunity elsewhere and you're tied up here at place B, but there's an opportunity at place A? It's a good idea to sell to move on that. If you're really certain that there's an opportunity there, selling and moving onto a new project is a good idea. It gives you a burst of fresh energy. Um, you put together new and exciting ideas. Um, and, you know, being stuck at some place and passing on really great ideas is not a good idea. All right. Um, and the fourth one or the final one, the number five that we had is if you're in a partnership and you have a partner that is under economic or some kind of duress or stress. For instance, I had a partner who, um, uh, I don't know how much I can share of this. I had a partner who had a significant life ending, uh, disease, um, you know, we had to consider whether we would continue in the project or not, and what it would mean to his partner, um, his spouse. Um, we decided to go on, and with his blessings, we carried on with the project. But in that circumstance, I would put aside the quest for making money and the efficiency of money in favor of compassion. And if, for instance, we had a partner that we couldn't buy out, that we couldn't make an accommodation for, it might be one that you should keep in your holster as a reason to sell. That based on compassion, if this is a family member, you would hate to, I think most of us would hate to continue to make profits while one of our family members suffered some horrible situation. Um, divorces can be terrible. 
long-term illnesses or even short-term illnesses, job losses. Those might be ones that you should just reserve as uh, options. Uh, and I just put that out there lightly. The sixth one that I thought of this morning is what if what you're doing, your investment is not aligned with your goals or your goals have changed? What if your goals initially were to make a crap load of money and you've already done that? Now what? You know, are you without ideas? Are you without goals? Have your ideas changed? If they have, I think it's a compelling reason to rethink things, settle down and think about it and go, why am I doing this? And if by doing this is the end of a dream and you're finished and you completed it, and you're totally done, or it no longer fits with who you are, you should sell. It's, you know, you don't, it's not quitting. It's just ending and ending isn't bad. Ending is the start of something else. Every ending is the beginning of something else. Oh, I sound like I'm selling crystals now, but it is true. Give yourself an opportunity to end projects and end it well. Um, we get into this thinking that we're buying and holding forever, but none of us live forever. I don't know that person. Everything ends. Give yourself an opportunity and an option to end and think about how that ends. I know Glenn was talking to me and we were talking about, you know, three to five months. I'm 59. I'll be 60 in the fall. My thoughts now are always were buy and hold and the future went forever when I started this at 40. But future is closer and closer. And I have to give myself an opportunity, an option to end. And how do I end well? And Glenn was saying, like, what's your three and five year plan then? Well, Break it down. working back from that, yeah, working back from that, I better start thinking about it. And, you know, that's part of my work now is figuring out what the next 60 months look like for me. That's, um, what about if someone made you an offer that you can't refuse? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think, you know, based on my, who I am and my integrity, yeah, I'd have to look at it. I I'm responsible to investors primarily, you know, first off, my wife is my primary investor, some family members that are close. I care about employees or investors, and then my limited partners. Um, it would have to work for all of them first be ahead of me, but I did, you know, it's interesting meeting last night I had with my long-term investment partners. He said, listen, you don't have to apologize at thinking about retirement. All of us are. And if retirement is in the cards and you're talking three to five, well, we've had a really good run together. Uh, we've done a great job. We're proud of our work. And if that's what it takes to wrap things up, you have our blessing, which was a relief because I didn't know how they would feel about it. I didn't know, you know, we talk about these things, but this is the first time I broached the subject and said, Hey, um, I'm going to be 60 in the fall. Nobody lives forever. I need to start thinking about what wrapping things up. So this is a very timely conversation for us. What does it look like? But, um, no, you did some thoughts. really good stuff there. Cause that, that is, well, the more you mentioned it, it why I've sold properties, unless it was the design, cause it was a flip. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but like the ones that we've sold that we've kept, it's been, things have changed in people's lives or relationships have changed with you and them or their relationships with somebody else or relationship with a property manager. It's just something, some sort of relationship has changed or um, yeah, need money for another project. Or mm -hmm. I, I sold some pro properties last year and it's, I had uh, private loans going due and I knew my project was going a little long and it wasn't going to do it. And I just sold something because I want my private money, you loan me money, I will pay you back on time and I'll make sure I do it no matter how I find it. And I want to have that reputation to protect my mm -hmm. reputation. I'll sell something. Yep. It's also, well, part, also, of the, it's also part of the, uh, the, the understanding, you know, when people invest in a syndication that they see their money back after, after a certain time, like uh, usually mm -hmm. maybe five years. Yep. Well, you contracts are supposed to have a term. 
right? So even whenever I sign JV agreements or everything, it's usually a five-year term. We can hold these properties forever, but uh, the, the plan is, you know, we've set it up to sell at five years. We can have this negotiation. We can re-extend and everything else, but um, everything should have a termination and then a renewal, right? Mm -hmm. Leases, same thing, termination and renewal, right? They, you need to have a set date. Like Darcy said, people don't live forever. Nope. And you got to account for it, uh, mortality. Uh, I mean, it's easier or still hard to say it at 60. I think I want to live forever, but it's not going to happen. Uh, I checked. That doesn't happen. <laughs> I just looked around. I almost spit my water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is well researched, this show, everybody. We checked around. I asked a couple of guys and nobody lives forever. So, um, yeah, I think. I think and many of us uh, maybe start in this, you just want to do it. You just, you love the work. I love the, the next project and the next one and the next one. And the way I had built our business was completely deferred, always into the future, which never would arrive because it was built never to arrive. And when we finally had this discussion about selling, it was a little bit disorienting. Like, what do I do and who am I? If I'm not Roa Ryan, um, partners in Windsor, like, who, who am I? What, what happens if I sell that? Um, I love those relationships and the work. Um, and it was, it was um, confusing. Um, but it's, you know, it, it was, it was ultimately good. It was ultimately really good for everybody. And the feedback from all our investment partners was they were delighted with this. Um, it was, it was a good move. Um, I shouldn't be afraid of change. Um, you know, and find a way around for, it uh, for Glenn about uh, flips because uh, uh, I was wondering, you know, when you when you so if, if selling is part of the of the business plan and uh, how do you make sure you know the the selling the the market conditions are are good, you know, when you, when you, when time comes to sell. That's a good question. So um, typically, like we we pull a CMA, which is a comparative market analysis. A realtor can do this for you before we buy. Um, and then we pull another one after when, or when renovation, we get the contractor saying, like, for instance, we have um, a project that the contractor called us yesterday and said, hey, um, we're going to be done on Friday. Um, and we'd like to get this thing listed up for next week, right? Um, and so we like to get the realtor starting to, you know, organize the pictures. And I'm just giving you like a week's lead time, right? So we can be ready to go. And I pull another CMA. I want to see if anything has changed mm -hmm. between... Um, when we started this project and when we finished this project, right? Like, cause there's a time, like, and we are in a market, things go up, things go down. Um, and I want to have be upfront with my realtor. They are realtors though. You, uh, I give them as much information as I feel they need to know. Um, I don't <laughs> want to tell them this is the minimum I'll sell this property for because it'll sell for that. <laughs> or could. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, um, but I, I also I said, hey, we, we planned on 160 before we started this. And I'm like, based on these comps and everything else you're showing me, like, do you believe we can still do this? And that's where I would like this project to finish because that's where we are, right? That's what we plan for. Uh, so that or better, right? Um, can we do that, right? And so I'll ask opinions too. But um, yeah, I, I, that, I don't know if that was what you're looking for, Ari, but I do pull, I pull a second CMA. I want to check out if anything's changed over this time this, because six months difference yeah. houses have sold 
This could be a whole episode on how to sell. We're talking about when or why we might sell, but we should come back to this is how to sell. Like, what do you do in preparation for sale? Um, I'm just writing notes my, on the margin. In my course, it is a whole hour conversation about selling. And where's that course available, Glenn? <laughs> Glenn or is it available? I think you're sold out to the end of next year, right? Yeah, but it, um, but that is, uh, is a, it's a big thing. And even selling from between Canada and the US, it is different. You're dealing with financing of, we're, we're going to, I'm going down a rabbit hole, which we shouldn't do. Yeah. But, but you should it, talk to your accountant and your tax attorney and all that other stuff on the house right yeah but yeah. you what well, go back on what you said uh darcy a minute ago it's who we are like who we we get um attached to that thing yep. and um it was weird i was doing another presentation i did a presentation for the kingston real estate investors club uh last week and when i was preparing my slides i used some older slides instead of my newest slides and i was starting to kind of splice in some of my new stuff um and when I was doing it, I had to start slashing because it's like my old slides. Oh, I invest in Canada and the U.S. and I invest in these markets in Canada. Cut, cut. And it's no, like, I don't. And I was like, <laughs> it's cutting out like, oh, where? Like, oh, this is. I know I invest in Indiana. You know what? I actually don't have any houses in Indiana right now. I'm planning on buying some more, but I sold that whole portfolio off. Look out, Indiana. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it was just, uh, you know what I mean? It, it, it was, uh, it was a weird feeling because you do attached to that. And then, uh, you know, I don't know if I'll ever do this, but at some point, if I sold all of my US rentals, wouldn't you you'd be like, well, I'm no longer a Canadian investing in the US? Yeah. A Canadian investing in Croatia. Yeah. Who knows? Who yeah, knows, who knows? What the future holds. Who knows where it is. Okay. I think we should come back to how to sell, uh, you know, in preparation for sale. Like there's so much prep work to do it. Otherwise, it could be a misery. It is harder than you think. It's just not like selling your personal home. It's well, especially uh, you, you have to, you're, you're in the business of trying to sell a, you know, 50, hundred units, whatever it could be. Yeah. Right. And, uh, it's different buyers. Uh, a lot of people don't, they, it's one of those things they just think they just sells, but I'm sure there's a lot of steps you go through and with oh, brokers huge. and, yeah. uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a whole ordeal. Yeah. Well, but we sold on May 4th, 11 buildings and, uh, we're still doing tax stuff now. We won't finish and have all the money back into everyone's accounts until October. So that's 18 months after sale. And I can't tell you how many hours I've spent with lawyers and accountants just guiding the process through. It's it's tricky. I mean, we have a, a limited GP partnership structure and some people involved, but just to guide the process through so you hit all the targets and do all the required filings so you don't be penalized and close accounts and close uh, limited co's. It's a lot of work. Um, totally worth doing. Don't give, don't give it all away now. You just said you okay, want yeah, to do right. an episode on it. Little teaser there. No. <laughs> okay, well, thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, Glenn, can you tell us, because uh, Darcy mentioned it, can you tell us about your coaching class? Oh, it's just, it's glennsutherland.com slash coaching. If you, uh, I think where this is going to air in a little bit later too, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking months off. I am, I'm a real estate investor. So I'm not actually, I'm finishing off courses right now and I'm not taking on new students. By the time this airs, I might be taking on students again. Um, yeah. But uh, I think that's what some people, they work themselves to death. And I'm like, that's not the point to this. I, no, I want, you're I'm also presenting. You're also presenting down in um, Florida, right? This. Yeah. In, we're in May, but in early June, you're presenting at a master class in Florida with a bunch of other high-performing, high-flying, hotshot real estate moguls. 
So if you want more information, glensutherland.com, darcyboy.ca, and themindfulinvestor.net. Thank you for tuning in and see you next time. Right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.